You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and if you've never considered focusing on your furnishings as much as you do your forkings, I hope this quick chat might change that. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. While we're on the topic of making healthy eating a whole lot less hellish, although that's what we're always on the topic of here on the Party My Plants podcast, one of my favorite essential non-helly healthy staples, as you probably know by now, is Amazing Grass Greens Powder. And I am so excited that Amazing Grass is sponsoring this podcast episode. I truly, honestly, wholeheartedly adore Amazing Grass's amazing grasses, which I'm sure you're well aware of if you follow me on Instagram. Their green superfood powders are an insanely tasty blend of nutritious greens, phytonutrient-packed fruits, veggies, grasses, digestive enzymes, and probiotics that I can't and I don't want to live without. And it just so happens that one of the kitchen tools I'm going to outline in today's episode is the vehicle through which I enjoy amazing grass. Amazing. To make Amazing Grass even more amazing, they're offering Party in My Plants podcast listeners 40% off. Yes, 40%, not just some measly 10%, 40% off. That's almost half off your Amazing Grass order. If you go to their website, amazinggrass.com, and use coupon code PLANTPARTY40 at checkout. That's PLANTPARTY40 at checkout on amazinggrass.com. In case you've been living under a rock-hard avocado or just don't follow me on Instagram, I'm at Party in My Plants, I recently moved. My husband Jesse and our pup Tommy and I went from our lofty Williamsburg, Brooklyn apartment to a house in the country. And since we're both self-employed and don't have an official office, we set up a semi-official office in an apartment building in Manhattan where we basically plopped a mattress on the floor or on a prison bed, as my feng shui expert friend called it, so we can sometimes sleep there when we need or want to work in the city. I'll admit, acknowledge, and appreciate the reality that, yeah, this is an awesomely ideal dwelling situation, and you can hear the full backstory of how we got here in episode 157. Before this two-for-one move we just made, I hadn't moved for five years prior. And looking back, my moves between different college campus apartments and then different New York City apartments were all previously pretty straightforward. Gather possessions, Put in boxes, or really, let's call a spade a spade, put in 9,184, 9 million reusable canvas bags, and relocate. It wasn't even that hard. I just put my head down and be thankful that I maintained a relatively solid level of fitness as I huffed and puffed my stuff from one crib to the next. The hardest move I'd had was moving from a fifth-floor walk-up apartment building, meaning it was on the fifth floor of an apartment building with no elevator, in which since moving in, I had bought a ginormous IKEA pull-out couch, a queen bed, and an office desk that would have comfortably fit like eight employees. For that move, I enlisted professional movers beyond my father, and it is a true miracle that none of them died that day. 
But this move we just made was so, so different. This move was from one life to the next. We were moving from the home we rented together two years after meeting into a home we bought together a year after marriage. We were moving from a loft where together we reached for lofty goals, some of which we hit, some of which we missed, into a dreamy house where we planned to crystallize even bigger dreams. When it was time to start prepping for our move, it became intuitively clear to me, which meant that I thought a thought that I physically felt in my gut, that to move into the next iteration of myself required a careful curation of my belongings. This was not going to be a plop all my possessions in campus bags and unpack them in my new dig situation. This became a touch everything I own and thoughtfully decide whether it fits future best self or anchors to old self and then relocate accordingly. I had no foresight into the intensity of the challenge I was signing up for. Kind of like when you read a recipe that says it's going to take 25 minutes and then three hours and 37 minutes later, you still don't have dinner on the table. Yeah, this is also why I don't put recipe times in my book, by the way. Because it had turned out I'd been a borderline hoarder line. Hey, here's some breaking news. We learn a lot from our parents. And as I was going around my apartment touching every item, it hit me that three of my mom's well-meaning mottos growing up had manifested themselves as an insufferable amount of items in my life. One, we will always happily spend money on books. Two, Oh, honey, you love these $3 foam flip-flops from Old Navy? Then you really ought to get them in four colors. And three, why get rid of something that works? Therefore, I kept finding clones like, whoa, of hats and shirts and shoes and lipstick and notebooks and pens. Oh, my God, so many pens. And I was swimming in hundreds of books. No duplicates of those, thank God. Actually, I have two copies of The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown, which I have been gifted twice, both times by my mom, and haven't yet read once. And I had a million old things that still work. Now, let me pause for a moment to reel you back into how this relates to wellness. After all, this is a healthy living podcast, and I am a passionista about helping you up your health without sacrificing your happy, right? Well, what happened as I started The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, the book and the actual life-changing magic of going through my shit, is that it dawned on me as I held up my clothes from college that brought me mentally right back to college, which I hated, by the way, I realized that our stuff makes us feel stuff. You know how I'm always talking about how my food philosophy is to choose foods based on how they make you feel? Well, I do that. Take my word for it. Big fan of choosing foods based on how they make you feel over here. Well, it was a shocking revelation at age 30 that wowie kazowie, our stuff makes us feel stuff too. Our stuff makes us feel stuff. So over the period of moving, I dove deep into the wonderful world of minimalism and feng shui, two schools of thought that promote the intentional ownership and usage of items. If you remember back in episode 161 with Ken, my feng shui guy, he said that the reason feng shui is a thing is because the way you set up your space is how you experience life on a subconscious level. 
And then obviously the items in your space are the things that you use to set up your space. So therefore, by the transitive property and also by common sense, the items you have around you in your space contribute to how you experience life. The items, just going to say that again, you have around you in your space contribute to how you experience life. It's chilling. Once I realized this, I took a mindful eating approach to my stuff. I touched every single item and asked myself how it made me feel. And if my soul digested it swimmingly, then you're coming with, decorative bowl. Welcome home, poof. Bye-bye, lamp. Because as Ken also said in that chat in episode 161, an overall feng shui tip that works for every person in every room is to observe how what you see in your space makes you feel. Makes you feel. So maybe you're not in the midst of a move, but likely if you're listening to this in real time, you're in the midst of the gift-giving season. And even if you're listening to this in later time, we live in a permanent thing-buying society, so I think this episode is pretty evergreen. As you look at your new gifts, or think about your new buys, or walk around your current belongings, I would so highly and seriously recommend you touch each item, like Marie Kondo style, Gundam style. Marie Kondo style. Okay. And ask yourself how each of those items makes you feel. Whatever happened to the Gangnam style, dude? The Gangnam style. Marie Kondo should have done like some parody thing. Marie Kondo style. Okay. During our move, I let go of 108 books. 108 books that didn't make me feel the way that I wanted to feel. Many of them were like the OG vegan cookbooks I bought during the hardest and illest period of my life that I'd been keeping for, of course, their plenty recipes. But upon for examination, i.e. asking myself how each book truly made me feel, I realized that even glancing at it as I sauntered into my kitchen, it energetically brought me back to that broken and scared, messy Talia. And I didn't want to feel that life anymore. So I had to let those books go. Other books I got rid of were comedians' books, books written by various comedians, and stand-up comedy instruction books. Those also represented the older, sadder, more lost version of myself, and I was completely ready to shed that. And ironically, upon donating those books, my spark for comedy has like been completely reignited. How about them apples? Sometimes you have to let go to let Mo in. And really, the third set of books that hit my donation boxes were business and self-help books that just didn't align with where I really want my business or self to go. Hustle books, funnel books, marketing books that felt like push your message, 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 anything that when I looked at it made me feel the way that most fitness accounts make me feel on Instagram. Try harder because you suck as you are right now. Those kind of books. You know what I mean? Getting those out of my life felt like weight loss or a big relieving necessary overdue poop. So left on my shelves are books that make me feel epic, energized, enthusiastic, excited, authentic. Damn, I lost the E pattern there. Since books are art, why wouldn't you want the pieces you look at daily to evoke feelings of enjoyment? That's a rhetorical question. You would want that. It's funny because in our new house, we had a carpenter build us two large, magnificent bookshelves, one in the reading room or what we call the Zen Den off of our kitchen, complete with a window seat of my dreams and another bookshelf in my office. 
And when our designer was helping me style those bookshelves, because I have no clue what the heck I'm doing in that department, she kept saying, do you have more books? We need more books to fill the spaces, which is hilarious because in our Williamsburg apartment, Jesse kept saying, do you need more books? We need more space to fit your books. But now it just feels like I have this space to create myself, bring in more books, which I do read, by the way, they're not just art, that define the new me, the growing me, the me that I am intentionally becoming more of. It gives me excited butterflies just thinking about it. To this point, I love fellow podcast host Miranda Anderson's perspective on minimalism. She wrote a great book about mindfully choosing stuff called More Than Enough that I 100% audible during our move. She says, I use minimalism to describe a life where you choose the things you love and intentionally discard the rest. I'll say that again. I use minimalism to describe a life where you choose the things you love and intentionally disregard, I said discard before, good thing I read it twice, disregard the rest. This is exactly like our food, where we get to choose the foods we love to create a life we love, where we feel the way we want to feel and thus live the way we want to live. I'm sorry. I think this is so freaking cool. Like as I'm recording this, I'm sitting in a chair that I intentionally kept because it makes me feel like a powerful creative unicorn. I love how when I sit in this West Elm swivel chair, even though as my husband pointed out, the fabric is pilling, I feel like a powerful creative unicorn. So intentionally keeping things you love is as powerful as intentionally disregarding them. You feel? Okay, I also got rid of tons of non-book stuff that didn't make me feel the way I wanted to feel. Clothes that made me feel bland or like I was trying too hard. Ratty stained towels that did not make me feel abundant. Cooking stuff that because of their wear and tear or their original cheapness put the hell in healthy cooking. Rugs that just made me feel icky. Crummy suitcases that made travel very, very unpleasant. Tchotchkes that literally just took up space. Party supplies that every time I looked at them, I just felt guilty about not throwing enough parties. I got rid of so much stuff. And with all that, I followed Ashley Piper's advice from episode 167. I treated my things like I was interested in the end life of my items. So we gifted stuff to friends and fam. We didn't like wrap it with a bow disguised as my like not used Ikea lamp. We were just like, here, have this if it feels good. We hand delivered stuff like a massive 8 by 11 rug that we carried nine blocks to different uh, donation charity places here in New York. We Craigslisted, we apartment decoed, and we watched from the window as different items got scooped off our street in front of our apartment. Offloading was actually a rewarding adventure in and of itself. And yes, I fully shed a tear when I watched my beloved kitchen table get carried into a new home. And of course, I told the new owners to buy my book coming in April 2020 to see their new table on the cover. (laughs) So my advice to you, friend, filter your stuff for your health. Your mental health affects your emotional health, which affects your physical health. It's all related, sister. Even if you have sprouts sprouting in your kitchen like a health queen, if you have moldy anchors to yucky parts of your past on your bookshelf or in your closet, you will feel it. On the contrary, when you only have items in your foresight that spark joy for you, you will feel it. Waboom. 
There's one more reason I want you to ponder the idea of carefully curating your crap, and that's because it's been proven that the more clutter we have in our homes, the more energy we drain maintaining it. It's like in Step Brothers when Will Ferrell and John C. Riley rid themselves of the clutter of two beds and make a bunk bed so they can have so much more room for activities. Getting so much crap out of my life has already given my mind and brain and soul so much more room for activities. This is so cool. So call me minimalish or feng shui or con Marie kinda, but I am calling it now that if you keep choosing your furnishings like you choose your forkings, it has to be that your home life and then your bigger life will be as fun as a party. It just makes sense. So my gift guide this year is my suggestion that this holiday season or this permanent state of consumerism we live in, give yourself the gift of letting go of stuff. Like really, take a load off Annie. Help yourself feel free. Take a load off Annie. And give yourself more energy. Thank you so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you have a healthy and happy holiday season. And I also hope you check out the show notes for this episode at partyinmyplants.com slash 171 for a free list of over 100 non-energy sucking books that all my podcast guests and I highly recommend that'll inspire you in some awesome way.